Welcome to Building Bridges, the podcast that explores the journeys of individuals who have overcome challenges and forged their path to success professionally and in life. Join us as Amish Shaw, CEO at Chemcrest, sits down with associates, executives, and industry partners to delve into the inspiring stories that shape their own pursuits. Whether it's finding the strength to persevere, developing effective leadership skills, or fostering resilience in the face of adversity, Building Bridges is here to inspire, inform, and empower you on your own journey. Without further ado, this is Building Bridges. Hello, everybody. This is Amish Shaw, a CEO of Chemcrest, and I want to welcome you all to our podcast, Building Bridges. Today, I'm really excited to welcome two of our all-star leaders, uh, Joe Mari, who is our Director of Logistics, and Liz Fisher, who manages our supply chain organization. Welcome, both of you. Thank you. Thanks for you. having us. So, kind of kicking things off, um, I, I, I think we all know in the audience here, the, your listeners, that supply chain and logistics have been a pretty critical area, especially in this COVID, post-COVID world. Uh, it's something that we've talked a lot about um, in the news. You know, we've, we've, I think, come to understand supply chain as being a term. I know when I've been in the supply chain space now for almost 28 years, and uh, it's a space that people didn't really understand um, until, you know, COVID hit and we go to the grocery store, we go to the stores and the things that we wanted, you know, are no longer on the tables and everybody's talking about supply chain. So it's really become kind of a sexy space. Um, you know, we, we, we transformed our supply chains kind of around the world to make sure that we're keeping up with global demand and we've understood to some extent how fragile our supply chains are. So it's going to be an exciting podcast today because we're going to get deep into uh, the makings of supply chain and logistics and, and how we can use this to effectively um, do great things for the world and, and for our customers. So start out with um, Liz and Joe. I'd love to learn a little bit more about yourself. So can you talk a little bit, Liz, start first. Um, how did you get to Chemcrest? And, uh, you know, what? tell me about your journey here. I had actually an interesting uh, intro into Chemcrest. So I was actually finishing on my undergrad 10 years ago in 2013 at IU South Bend. And I had one of my professors of entrepreneurship come to me like, hey, I've got this crazy idea. We want to start this internship program with a company called Chemcrest, no cart. So I'm like, okay. And Amish actually came in and was a, a speaker for us. He came with his guitar. And was like, who's this guy? <laughs> and I, that's actually what captivated me to come to Chemcrest. So I started as an intern t- 10 years ago, worked in multiple different departments within Chemcrest, quality, supply chain, after sales, and just landed in supply chain. So I started as a continuous improvement coordinator working on different projects. That's right. And then junior analyst, analyst, supervisor of supply chain, supply chain manager, and latest and greatest senior supply chain Now manager. you're running the show. <laughs> it's, it's pretty awesome. It's, it's been wild. Yeah, it's great that you shared that because now I can, I, I remember the day that I met you at IU South Bend, and I remember the first project you worked on, which is helping us with our supplier portal that we really couldn't figure out at the time. We didn't have, uh, I'd say, the right focus on it. You came in and, and really kind of transformed that. So that's great. Thanks for sharing. Joe, tell me a little bit about yourself and how, how you ended up here. Absolutely. Uh, grew up in New York and started in the industry from the bottom up, working for the airline, understanding how cargo actually gets moved. Took opportunity to move to North Carolina. I worked down there for many years in the telecom industry and freight forwarding. And I got a call one day about an opportunity in Elkhart, Indiana. And it's like, do you know where that is? Absolutely. Uh-uh. But it's really close to South Bend, 
came up for an interview, and it happened to be the day of the 40th anniversary party we had over at MAG2. The interview group brought me over there and heard me speak, and I went to my wife going, wow, this is really interesting. And she heard it in her voice going, oh, darn, we're moving north again. <laughs> and that's five years ago, and we're still wow. here on this journey and everything. It's been exciting. You know, I've done it working with forwarders, the three PLs, the four PLs, manufacturers, and coming to Chemcrest giving me the opportunity to expand everything I've been working on over the past five years. So it's been a really exciting journey I've been on. That's great, Joe. Um, you know, I, I've I've appreciated you moving here and being an Indiana guy. And you know, I, I work on various boards throughout our state, and we always talk about how do we bring more of the talent in the state. And um, I got to tell you, you might be one of the only people that have ever left North Carolina while people are you know moving there in droves. And it's it's exciting to see that you guys have enjoyed enjoyed this uh, kind of transition to the to the great North. Um, also a Penn State guy, so, you know, fun to watch their football team this year. So it's great. Um, so let's kind of move on a little bit. Uh, you know, the theme of our podcast is building bridges. Uh, so in the areas that, you know, the functions that you lead, both supply chain and logistics, can you talk a little bit about how do your functions build bridges, specifically for our suppliers, our customers, our industry? Joe, you'd like to start? Absolutely. Um got to remember there's got to be someone who has to bring your material into the warehouse so we have to work with a bunch of different groups with supply chain we got to coordinate with the suppliers make sure our terms are right as well as cost and you know then it goes into the operation side so we're dealing with operational to get the product in making sure it's received on time damage free then we flip it around we have to get it back to the end customer so now we're dealing with sales and any issues they might have so and the last part of it, it all has to come in in the right price. Mm -hmm. So we're dealing with finance part of it. So it's all different areas of the company that we're dealing with. And all those strategies have to work together because I can't be looking for lowest cost because it might impact service. I can't be sitting there and going the highest cost because we have a business to run. Mm. So it's that balancing act between wow. everything all together as a group. And you have to build those relationships understand what the goal of the company is. Liz and I will talk a lot of time, Joe, I need to get this in right away. Mm -hmm. What can you do? Well, we can expedite this. It'll cost a little more. Tell me the, what the reason. This is what's going on. We're in, we're in a back order situation because of supplier decommit. The partnerships that Liz and I and Tyler and the others and the organization bring together, if we don't do that, we don't do what's right for the company. And that's where the building bridges to me means you have to look at the big picture and just not sideloading your little piece of mm -hmm. the business. Yeah, it's just the you kind of spelling out that level of complexity mm -hmm. in, in all of those variables that you have to manage. And that's just on one piece of the business's side, right? There's a lot of components mm -hmm. to how we run this business. And just breaking down and delayering the freight side, that's pretty, uh, pretty technical and pretty complicated. So... Liz, you, I, I, I don't remember, how, how many suppliers do you manage in total? Uh, we have a lot, so <laughs> <laughs> we probably manage over a thousand suppliers. A thousand in total suppliers? At Chemcrest. And how total. many SKUs? Like how many part numbers? Oh, tens of thousands. Tens of thousands. <laughs> and geographically, you know, where are these suppliers dispersed? All over the map, all over the globe. All We've over got, the world. For, for example, our accessories, we have a lot that are overseas international a lot mm -hmm. are in south korea china we have some in india and we have a lot that are domestic too 
A lot in Mexico. Yeah, so so thousands of suppliers with tens of thousands of SKUs with suppliers that are geographically dispersed. Mm -hmm. So when, when I think of that, I think of just all of the connectivity that's needed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, your job is to build bridges, is to make that connection between all of these pieces. So talk a little bit about what that looks like for you. Yeah, so we, from, uh, it all starts with the customer. The customer comes to us, gets, hey, we've got this new launch product. We have to get everything ready for launch. So we gain all that information from the customer, share that information with our supply base, Internally with Chemcrest, we go to compliance teams, freight teams. How are we going to get this product ready for launch? So freight and supply chain work very, very closely together. Uh, when he's talking about building bridges and having constant communication, that's key. We also communicate very well with our operations teams. Hey, we've got this back order product coming in. It's three truckloads coming in all on the same day. Freight, can we, is it, can we make it possible? <laughs> Tyler, please help us. Can we get this out the door? So it all comes down to getting it back out for our customer. Absolutely. So, you know, putting a customer in the middle of everything we do is yeah. pretty vital here at Chemcrest. Mm -hmm. And it, I, I just think that between what you both have said, and, and to kind of break this down, you know, hopefully our, our, our listeners can appreciate, you know, when, when they went to the grocery store during the times of COVID, or even when they go to a store and maybe something that they want isn't, isn't there, the from sourcing a product, which is what you do, Liz, you get involved in sourcing, then supplier management, then supplier development, then setting up these parts, then the pricing that's required, then mm -hmm. the inbound logistics, so bringing it in from anywhere all over the world. Somewhere, Liz, your team has to do the demand planning, yeah. so you have to you know, know exactly how much somebody wants at any given time, so it's available. I think our metric's 98% on-time delivery. That's with an order placed within 24 hours. So all of these layers of complexity exist. So I just want to ask a question to the two of you. Like, how do you do it? Like, what, you know, what goes on here? How, how in the world do you make all of this complexity look so easy? Are there systems? Are there tools? Is it just you have a lot of people? Like, go ahead, Liz. A lot of caffeine. I'm kidding. <laughs> we have an awesome team of, of supply chain analysts, demand planners, freight analysts that keep our business running. Uh, forecasting is definitely one of the biggest challenges within supply chain, especially when you're in the business that we're in. We're in kind of like an aftermarket space where we're not shipping directly to the plants, we're shipping to dealerships. Mm -hmm. We do get forecasts from our customers, but it's not always the most accurate forecast that we get. It's almost impossible to have 100%. If you sure. look at a crystal ball, that's what you're kind of getting for forecasting. So we do have our ERP system that we're utilizing for <coughs> demand planning, looking not just at past sales, but also getting the algorithms with the best forecast methodology of mm. what is that future forecast and demand planning going to look like. So technology plays a pretty big role in this. Huge role, yeah, yes. Yeah, great. You know, so Joe, on your side, um, how many freight carriers do you manage? And, and you know, you've got small parcel, you've got... Uh, LTL, you got truckload, you probably have containers coming in, you've got global stuff. You, how, like, can you talk a little yeah. bit about what, what you deal with on a daily basis and, yeah. and how you manage that? We have uh, approximately over 50 different carriers in all those spaces because as mm. Liz pointed out, stuff comes from all around the world. And the complexity of uh, bringing product in from overseas, you have to worry about the licenses, custom brokerage, make sure everything's done right. Uh, you know, we talk about building bridges, 
we have to rely on other people because Kempgrass doesn't own its own trucks, planes, boats. So for us to make sure we have enough understanding of what marking conditions are, we have these conversations consistently with our LTL carriers, our truckload, small parcel, international, because we need to understand, is there a potential disruption to the supply chain? Mm. And this is where, again, communication, not only to supply chain, but to sales or anybody else in the organization saying, hey, there's a problem here. We need to pivot and adjust and let the customer know that there's disruptions going on. Because without those relationships outside and understanding what can impact our business, um, it'll hurt us long term if we're not on the forefront and let people know up front. Mm -hmm. So for us as a, a group, my team is sitting there constantly talking to the carriers, finding out what's going on. We have our standard monthly or uh, quarterly meeting reviews with them, and we're asking this question, what's going on? It's Right now it's peak season. Everybody knows it's Christmas time, buy stuff online. So as we talk to FedEx or UPS, we're mm -hmm. asking those questions. How's things going? Capacity constraints. What's the weak spots? And then we're able to talk to the organization. And this way we're not setting ourselves up for fail. Yeah. And that's where our uh, communication across the entire organization is really important for our groups. Yeah, that's, that's great. So this is just kind of maybe a loaded question, but it sounds like the it's really important. Like there is a bridge that's been built between supply chain and logistics. It's a natural Absolutely. bridge. We can't, this is the yin and the yang, right? We can't yep. do one without the other. Is there ever a time of conflict? Do you guys ever see, the, like, what, what would conflict look like between the two? Is it, is it maybe because there's a capacity constraint on the logistics side, or maybe it's because we have to expedite something because a forecast might have been wrong? Like, let's talk a little bit about conflict. And maybe it's outside of this room. Maybe there's conflict with operations or with finance or production and kidding and packaging. Like, do you ever, in your world, is there ever an opportunity where conflict exists? I would say it exists all the time because people get used to things moving efficiently. Mm. There are always hurdles and, and issues that are going to happen. And it's working together to explain what's going on and try to look and see what happened for that particular issue and then prevent it from happening in the future. So we'll work together, our groups, okay, we had a problem, shipment got delayed. Why did it get delayed? It might be a supplier issue that we discover after we talk to our custom broker. They didn't do the documentation right. Mm -hmm. So we go back to Liz's team who goes back to supplier. We did it yesterday where we found that certain suppliers were not following our routing guide and occurring unnecessary costs. So we went to our supply chain team in Carmel. Please talk to your suppliers. Everyone understands what the big picture is as we continue to grow into one camp grass. We're not picking on Liz or the teams. We're trying to make it better for the overall organization. Mm. And there'll be times when we might have conflicting metrics too. Mm -hmm. My on-time metric is on-time shipping. I need to get product out the door as quickly as possible. So if I've got a back order product that's coming from overseas, Joe, I need air freight for this product and it's gonna hit the bottom line. His metric is cost savings, get the lowest rate possible. So there will be times where those metrics are conflicting, but we work together and do what's best for the customer. And I think that's where the relationship is. She tells me what the problem is. We sit there and make a decision what's in the best interest of the company. Yeah. And without those bridges together and those that's great. trust. And that's the thing. I have to learn to trust Liz, and Liz has to learn to trust me. Mm -hmm. And that's the big thing because this way we're not impacting the overall company. 
Yeah, that's that's a great point. We were doing a podcast. Um, actually, Cameron and I were doing a podcast after this Notre Dame event where we had a couple U.S. senators talking about <coughs> from opposing sides of the aisle, and they were talking about how they build bridges, and it was really about trust. Mm-hmm. You know, trust was so central in that theme, and I think that trust within an organization is, is, is so critical. Mm-hmm. Uh, trust with our customers, trust with our suppliers. So now you've got suppliers that are trying to provide us materials, whether they're carriers or they're material suppliers, and kind of everybody in the whole value chain, right? If, if we don't have a high degree of trust, it's really, really hard mm-hmm. uh, to get things done. So I'm gonna transition a little bit. Um, I've mentioned it before, you know, kind of COVID, you almost get sick of talking about it, but it's a reality. It, it just changed the world as far as supply chain is concerned. I, I'm not kidding, like, you know, we, Back in the days, you'd say that you're you know, a supply chain company, and people just didn't understand what that meant. Today, you know, we're like rock stars because we've, we're superheroes. We've saved the world. Um, and I think one big thing that, that came out of this was we realized that the, the, supply, the global supply chain was more vulnerable than, than we had ever thought. Um, we saw this in pockets in the past when there's been, you know, major either political conflicts or there's been... Uh, you know, there was an earthquake in Japan once, and, you know, things get shut down. The theme here is really around building in a resilient supply chain. Mm-hmm. So maybe what are, what are some things that you've learned going through a challenging time that we have now been able to put in place, or even a different way of thinking, a different way of planning, maybe it's contingency planning, maybe it's dual sourcing, but how have you used the learnings that we've we've gotten from you know the most recent experience to create a resilient supply chain? What are some best practices? And maybe there are things that we're still doing, but what are some things that maybe you could talk about? I could talk about an example where Liz talked about getting product from overseas. Typically, a lot of importers will let their freight forwarder handle the entire leg of transportation. Well, we all heard about how many container ships are stuck off L.A., then it goes on a rail to Chicago, it's stuck in Chicago. So we made a decision to stop the con- our shipments in West Coast. And we put it on, we stripped the container and we put it on our own LTL carriers and brought it in. What we were able to do is take out all the noise in the different nodes. And everyone's thinking, oh, it's gonna cost you more money. But we found out, not only did we improve transit time by, it was almost two weeks. We were able to drive down our costs because mm-hmm. The partners we had selected, they didn't do anything wrong. They're just used to the way they're doing it. But we were able to look at where the cost was and who they were using and leverage our other parts of our business to actually drive efficiencies in there. So doing that during COVID when you couldn't get freight out of Chicago, we were running it constantly, getting it in, no worries at all. We actually did something similar now going to Alaska and Hawaii where, again, similar. they were just looking the way they did it. We broke it down. We looked at who's the best provider for us and we're able to save money and improve service that mm. way. Wow, that's great. That's great. Liz, what do you think? You've got a lot of suppliers all over the world. How do you effectively build a resilient supply chain? So one of the biggest hurdles that we've got is that a lot of our suppliers are directed suppliers by our customer. Mm. But if we have resilience planning in place, you can try to mitigate those risks. So looking at your supply chain, identifying where those top risks are, where are they at in mm. are all over the world, um, if there's, like, during COVID, semiconductors or something that ended up yeah. affecting Shutting down the industry. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So, because some of our products, like some of our transmitters, though technically has some semiconductor mm -hmm. material in it. <clears throat> Might not have the actual semiconductor, but have the material that goes oh, into wow, it. Oh, wow, okay. But then also building, for me, the most important thing is building a relationship with your suppliers. If oh, you yeah. have good relationship with your suppliers where you know the supplier but then they know themselves, you're able to have those hard conversations with suppliers mm -hmm. if you already have that relationship built with the supplier. Mm -hmm. So if I call them like, hey, I've got this huge sales spike that's coming up, what can you do to help me? Like, oh, I've already got product on the floor because we already had, we've already worked with mm -hmm. you and we already have forecasts from you. We've already got that on the shelf and ready to go for you. We can ship it right to you. Yeah, that you know, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that there used to be a time in in business where suppliers were actually, you know, even called vendors, mm -hmm. and it was a very transactional mm -hmm. environment, yeah. right? You go, you go out. I remember in the auto industry where the bids would be on a on a portal. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no name or face to it. It was all a number, and you're playing this lottery. And we would always joke that if you win that bid, you've actually lost because the chances of you actually being successful in those environments. Because what happens is in those instances, they're just looking at price. Mm -hmm. They're not looking at service and quality and all of the value add that goes together. Mm -hmm. Frankly, there is no partnership. So we think about partnership. We talked about trust earlier. When you think about partnership, um, talk a little bit about ways that you build relationships, the importance of relationships and partnership, and, and you know, how do you continue to invest in those areas, especially you've got so many different suppliers, you have suppliers around the world. Mm -hmm. What are some ways that you've seen that have been effective? We have correlated business reviews with our top suppliers mm. and we'll have constant communication with conference calls with those suppliers all over the world. Um, we ask them what's affecting your industry, what's going on within your uh like for example, corrugate, if they've got trends that are going up or down, how is that going to affect us? How can we get cost savings out of that? Um, one cool thing that Chemcrest has done is we have an innovation fair once a year where we're able to bring in the latest and greatest products that our top suppliers mm. are innovating. We bring in our customers and it's almost like a speed dating. Mm -hmm. We have our top 12 suppliers that have come in, they each have their own room. We have all of our suppliers that are invited in, and they'll go from room to room to see what's the latest, greatest product with that supplier. So that's building relationships not just it. with our suppliers, but our customers too. And it's also showing our suppliers that you're just not a vendor to us. It's not yep. just a transactional, I need to sit and get it to me today. We're trying to also build their business by introducing these new products with our customers and trying to increase their business as well. I love that. And, you know, when I, when I hear what you're saying, it makes me think about, one of our roles is to help each other win. Mm -hmm. And when you can help your supplier, it's really a partner, right? In life, with our friends, our relationships, our spouses, our children, whomever it might be, when we help each other win, we win together. And that builds trust, that builds relationship, that builds excitement, that builds mm -hmm. connectivity. So that's, that's great. So let's, let's talk a little bit about people. Um, you, you both have folks that are reporting up through you, and you've got folks that are kind of internal customers that you work with. Um, I think we all know that you know the people in our business are the most critical asset, and it's how we get things done. It's through mm -hmm. people. Um, they help us drive results. Um, so talk a little bit about just maybe some leadership principles that you use that help engage and inspire 
your teams that maybe work directly for you or others that work you know, in, in, um, in, in, in departments that, that you rely on? I am a resource for my whole team. So if, if they need something, I'm there. So um, I have an open door policy. If, if they need something, they can call me, I am me, shoot me a text message, and I'm there. So I try to just be a resource for them and do they're the ones that are getting stuff done. I'm mm -hmm. not. I'm just there to try and do whatever they need done and then yeah. escalate if they need escalations with their suppliers. So this aspect of servant leadership. Yeah. You're you're there. I am there for, for whatever. Them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> for whatever they need and that's 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 great. Yeah. Some of the principles I use is coaching. You know, you try to coach mm -hmm. them and everything. But actually when you talked about your earlier podcast, I need I've learned over the last couple of years that you need to listen to them. And hear what mm. they're actually saying. Yeah. It's a, when we're having a conversation, it's not listen to respond, it's listen to understand. Yeah. And mm. too many times we want to respond <laughs> too quickly. Uh, you got to listen to whether it be your team, whether it be operations or anybody else, and really stop and think what are they trying to get at? What is their biggest <coughs> challenge? And it's hard sometimes because you we're running crazy in all different directions, but you got to stop and think about that. And I think that it once you start getting in that habit of not responding immediately, we become better. And one of the other strategies, I also want to listen to my team and listen to what they're saying because they are the people who are dealing with the issues mm -hmm. every single day. Yeah. How do I impact my decision? How does it impact them? Am I making a supplier selection that's going to make their lives harder? You know, to me, managing so many, I'm sure Liz is the same way. I'm a little different. I can, I have tens of thousands I can pick from. I want to hear what they say about our suppliers. Does mm. do they make our lives easier, harder? Do they provide value to us? That is where I'm letting the team grow and, and trying to get, spread their wings out as they continue to mature and evolve their careers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this element when you were saying listen, listening and listen to understand, it reminded me, um, Joe, Cameron, you were there. Um, this summer we held our uh, leadership retreat, and one of the activities that we did with our extended uh, senior leadership team was we went to Second City. Mm -hmm. And at Second City, we were there to get improv training. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't because we all wanted to be comedians or actors. It was really meant to, when the art of improv is learning how to listen. And so sometimes when we're speaking, you know, you somebody's speaking and you're already thinking about what you want to say next. Mm -hmm. Well, improv, you have to actually listen and respond once everything has been said. And so I thought that was, you know, a pretty fun exercise, getting everybody out of their comfort zone. Um, but that, that's cool. I appreciate that, that feedback. So let's talk a little bit about the future, okay? I think this is a lot of good stuff. We've talked a little bit about the past and what we're doing today. Let's talk a little bit about the future. There's so much that's going on in the world around us. The future is just, you know, this <laughs> exciting but somewhat scary place. What, so just at a, at a broad level, where do you see our industry, call it supply chain, even automotive, um, logistics, where do you see the industry moving in the next five to ten years? Are there any things that you're seeing that are going to be either game changers or impactful to what we're doing? What are just your thoughts? They don't even have to be validated. Just you're in the space. So what are some, mm -hmm. some things that you're thinking or seeing? Well, well. The, EV, the EV space is definitely something mm. that's going to be changing our model. I mean, if you look at it, our top customers, they're internal combustion engines. Yep. They're not EV vehicles. But right. 
the whole industry is going toward and all the uh, political environment is moving toward the EV space. Yeah. So we're starting to dip our toes into it right now. So we've got some exciting things coming on for Chemcrest. Yep. So I'm interested to see how we're going to be evolving into more of the EV space. Yeah. Yeah, that's... The EV is... Um, I, I think it hasn't taken off to the volumes that, that were originally forecasted. I think maybe mm-hmm. 7% of all vehicles sold in the United States are electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. I know there's challenges with EV infrastructure. There's definitely geopolitical challenges with where these raw materials come from. Mm-hmm. So these raw materials, you know, we, we move from a reliance on, you know, oil from, call it Saudi and OPEC, to um, maybe a reliance on raw materials and minerals from China-owned mines throughout the world. Um, so there's a lot of interesting things that are going on, and I think a lot of it's politically driven. So mm-hmm. I'm also interested, since Chemcrest supplies about 80% of all the packaged chemicals for the internal combustion engine, uh, and that's why you said we got some exciting things going on in the EV space, starting to do things with General Motors Energy, mm-hmm. um, doing the you know EV battery deck recycling mm-hmm. with our partners at uh, ABTC, uh, and I'm sure there's a lot more that we're going to be re- getting into. What do you think, Joe? Um, what's what's the future of logistics and supply chain look to you? What I've been hearing about is more about the AI and mm. how that really can make better, quicker decisions. So if disruptions in the supply yeah. chain, you get down to, like we talked about, earthquake in Japan. Well, that can sit there and go right away and see how it impacts your tier two, tier three suppliers. And you can understand what it goes on. Also can make better decisions around uh, shipment routing. Yeah. We can look at different carriers. On the customer service side, quicker decisions, also you know when something is stuck. You didn't get the right status uh, from the carrier. Is it lost? Is something going wrong? The customer now knows, potentially, my products will be late, so they're better planning as well, and you can react a lot sooner. It's really interesting to hear what's happening in that space and the warehousing side of it and everything with, uh, as you continue with robotics and all that to help out make things more efficient for all of us. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because um, I think the, the the fear of AI is is real. And talking about the technology that we have today, I use ChatGPT for almost every single day of my life. Um, some of the new functionality in ChatGPT allows you to create your own GPTs so you can build your own databases. And you know, it's, it's the futuristic, will the robots take over the world? There was once um, a theory or thought, and maybe it's not that far down the future, where on the trucking space, you know, we've got an issue with drivers and logbooks and volume of people that want to be truck drivers. And, we've, of course, we've had an immigration issue for a long time where we, we've got, you know, very low unemployment in this country. And so this theory was, you know, we're going to move to autonomous trucks, and they're going to be electrified, autonomous vehicles, and they're just going to show up, and you're going to load and unload, and, you know, And then we've got robots, you know, the AI engines are going to take over supply chain and, you know, we're not going to have people anymore. What do you think about all of that? I was uh, recently at a conference where they're talking about autonomous uh, trucks and everything, and they still think that's quite a bit away Mm -hmm. because of safety concerns and all the different challenges and everything. But it doesn't mean that there's not the technology to make things better and safer out there. I was driving my wife the other day in her car and all of a sudden someone braked hard and first time I ever experienced that with the automatic braking. So there, the technology is there to help improve in different areas. It just goes completely to never needing a person. Yeah. yeah, I've heard this for 25, 30 years that, oh, this is going to go away, but there's still people have to make decisions. And, and 
understand more than just what's programmed because they're programming our minds. Yeah. And it's still a human programming machine until it really becomes later on in life. And But I think there's always improvements. Mm-hmm. It's how do we use those improvements to take it to the next level to make our jobs easier. Yeah, I, I, I was recently with a very good friend of mine who's a just a technology genius and just a luminary in his space. And he was sharing a story of Dorothy Vaughn and Dorothy Vaughn was the woman that ran NASA's mathematics department, and they made a movie yep. about these women. And her job before was she managed the computers, and the computers back in the day were the people that fed the punch cards in the system. Until one day, this IBM server shows up, and the women were freaking out. They're like, we're going to be jobless. And Dorothy Vaughn read the IBM server manual from cover to cover. And by reading it, she got to understand how she and her team could be more productive and more effective. So they didn't lose their job, Mm -hmm. but they were able to use the computer to augment a lot of the manual work they were doing, but they used their brains to kind of help with the problem solving. And so his, his perspective was, this is the time where we should be learning as much as we can because AI right now isn't meant to take anybody's jobs, Mm -hmm. but if you use it correctly, it can augment a lot of the manual processes. It can help Mm -hmm. compute you know, maybe better forecasting information for supply chain. It can help us, you know, do so many things. So I'm really, um, I'm optimistic. There's always a fear of the unknown, but but part of the fear is we always think of all the good that can happen, but there's always bad guys in the background that are using it not to do such great, you know, things in the world. So really good. Well, I I appreciate all of this. I'm going to give you a chance to kind of have a closing remark, you know, We've talked about building bridges. We've talked about the importance of supply chain logistics in our world to our customers. Um, you know, it's the method of getting material from point A to the end user. Um, hopefully, people can can understand the complexity that's involved with all of this. There's multiple nodes. There's multiple call it failure modes that can happen along the way. In order for us to be able to get a product delivered from pr- you know production all the way to the end user, um, there, there's a lot of things that happen. It's, it's you know, being able to throw that flawless pass and get caught in the end zone, <laughs> you know, every single time, tens of thousands of times in a row. With all that said, we rely on people, we rely on technology, we rely on good processes, we rely on trust. Give me some closing comments on, on what, what this conversation kind of meant to you and, and maybe where, where we go from here. Uh, probably sound like a broken record, but building relationships, building bridges, uh, having that communication, that partnership, not just with your customers, your suppliers, which is all very important, but internally and interdepartmentally. Mm. Joe and I work very closely together. Uh, we work very closely with Tyler and operations, with our finance departments. Mm-hmm. Everything is intertwined. Yeah. So I'd say having very strong relationships, building that trust, I'd say is what resonates with me after this conversation. That's great. Yes. Thank you, Liz. I think um, some of the um, themes, but I think we also need to be always keep learning. We need to be agile. Mm-hmm. We need to be informative to the entire organization. That's why you know we have these conversations. We use data to support our goals. You know, and we can't be afraid not to take risk. And one of our key initiatives is stay scrappy, right? Mm-hmm. We also need to spend time with our, our internal people, our peers, our leadership, because we're going to learn something every single day from all of them, and that be, it makes us become better leaders, better people and better individuals. I love it. I love it. I don't think there's anything I can add to that, so we can drop the mic there. 
Uh, first off, I just want to take a moment and thank both of you, Joe. Um, I, I, just I appreciate your perspective. Um, I always appreciate your leadership. Uh, you're a true pro at what you do. Um, you know, we didn't talk about this earlier, but when Joe joined the organization, we were really starting to be serious about making logistics and freight and that whole area a strategic part of our organization. I can say today we are definitely best in class there. So thanks for all you do. And Liz, um, I just I always appreciate your energy, your thoughtfulness, um, your perspective, and all the things that you've done uh, with the organization. Um, we are a supply chain optimization company, so having a true leader and champion in supply chain is critical to our success. I know how complicated your life is every day. I know how demanding our customers are. And somehow, between the two of you, we are able to meet 98% on-time delivery and really crush it for customers like GM and Harley-Davidson and Stellantis and Audi, Volkswagen and BMW and you know some of the biggest um, customers in the world. So thank you again. Uh, this concludes our Building Bridges podcast. So thank you all for being with us. I hope you've been able to learn a little bit, maybe get inspired and pick up some great tips along the way on how it's... Uh, how we build bridges to ensure a seamless and resilient supply chain. Thank you all. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Building Bridges. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, make sure to click the link in this description to keep up to date with future guests.